Daily DVR Dives into Mindhunter is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Look good when you step out in the morning. Elevate your style. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today and save 20% on your order. No minimum. Use code DVR20. That's all you got to do. Use code DVR20 today and save 20% off your order. If you've got an event coming up, if you've got... If you just want to look good, go to cufflinks.com and they'll help you out. They've even got a blog over there that details how to get prepared for these big events and order everything for everyone. You know, that can be a hassle. Let cufflinks.com help you do that. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome to Daily DVR Does Mine Hunter. We're back, baby, for season two. We're going to cover episode one today. I'm excited. My name's Heath Solo, and uh, the show is just amazing. We're going to be covering season two. If you're listening to this pod and like, whoa, what's going on? Go back. We did a whole catalog of 10 episodes of season one of Mine Hunter, baby. Uh, remember, you can check us out at DVRpodcast.com. We do tons of other podcasts. So we do Watchmen, we do Filmless, Game of Thrones, we did a ton. Axel does daily DVR where he tackles different topics of the television and film world. We do a lot of stuff, so check us out. And you can also become a Patreon Just go to uh, or a patron, whatever you want to say. Uh, just go to uh, DV. Uh, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash DVR. Axel Foley yes. is here with me. I'm excited. I'm leading the charge. Sometimes, you know, Axel, I get a little uh, too excited. I get ahead. But you know what helps with that is if, if our listeners can just help us out. Go to uh, at Apple Podcasts or the iTunes reviews. Give us a review, baby. Click a star. Could be one. Could be five. We hope it's five. Yeah, maybe four, but leave us a review. It helps us get noticed uh, as we're doing the podcast so we can get more people involved uh, in our community. So give us an iTunes review, please. We need it. Speaking of need, I need Axel. I need to hear his voice. Hello, Axel. Hey, Solo. I'm so excited that we're back doing Mindhunter. Um, you texted me and you were like, it's start." It's time to start hunting mines, baby. <laughs> and I, man, just doing this rewatch, of course, we watched this. I think both of us, when the second season dropped, I, my wife and I watched it in like two days, I think. Yeah. Um, this is just a fantastic season. And we're going to do the same thing we did last season where we're going to try not to spoil. We're going to kind of go episode by episode. So if you're watching along with us, um, then you can kind of go on that journey. Uh, which I've done with other podcasts and people are doing with streaming now. But man, when I rewatched this episode last night, took some notes and just like, it's it's never a chore to rewatch an episode of Mindhunter. It's just so rewatchable. There's so many little details that you pick up and there's just, it's never boring. And this episode just picks up immediately. We're like a week later after mm -hmm. the last season and you're just right back into it. You recognize everyone. It's like they just didn't even stop filming. And yet it was like a two-year period. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. Like, it looks the same. The music, it feels, it's just so consistent. And it's just consistently amazing. And I love this episode. And I was just so happy to sit down and watch it. 
and get pulled right into into Holton and all the drama and the bureau and all that shit. Yeah, baby. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because when, you know, season two starts, you're like, okay, he's going to be like five years ahead. I mean, we're going to lose characters. We don't know. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's like a week later, like you said. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, we're around 1980. Um, things are things are happening, and they, we have our little check-in with everyone. Uh, they save Holden's for a little bit, but they have our check-in to see wh- where everything is going. But it's done in such a way where it's efficient. It's I'm not gonna say fast, but it, it's not one of those long, drawn-out. Yeah. Um, it gets you back in and allows you to get the feel because we watch a lot of TV shows. We watch you know, there's a lot of things you get invested in, and Mind Hunter, you really need to get into that mind hunting mode, and it really right away got me back. It's like I could have been watching you know an episode of Mom, or I could have binged I don't know Mash, but then <laughs> Mind Hunter, like I'm like oh I'm in, I'm in with Mind Hunter. Um, so <laughs> it's it so, is really it's it's really just a testament to how per, what a professional show is. We talked about this when we did our top 10 of 2019 television. If people go back to daily DVR, our master feed, you can check that out. Solo and I did like two hours and 15 minutes and Andy and I did like two and a half hours. <laughs> we talked about basically every television show that was made in 2019 and one of the things we said on both pods about Mindhunter is people forget, you know, it's on Netflix, it's streaming. If it was released week to week over an eight or 10 week period, the whole world would be obsessed with this show. It's just right. su- of such high quality. And then you get to the end of the year and you look back and you're like, oh, Mindhunter season two came out in 2000. It's like it's automatically up there. I think it was your number one and my number two, right? Yes. yes. So, I mean, it's just like this This show is just – a. this is like when we talk about how you as an actor, you've been on sets, you see the way people are. Um, we hear a lot in uh, in the pop culture about like actors act this way or directors or being divas or whatever. But the truth is that a vast majority of people in this industry are professionals. This is their job. Right. And what you can see in Mindhunter is a bunch of people who do their job, who show up and do their job. And it just comes out amazing. Everything. You know, I had mentioned uh, on that, actually, that we found the shirt that we were looking for. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Um, I I sent a message on Instagram to the costume director for season one, or she was either the costume director or she was tasked with finding a worked on the crew. I can't remember. Uh, someone had just said, try this person. And I just did it. And she said that the shirt you were looking for was vintage and wasn't sure what it was, but I found kind of one on Amazon, but it just goes to show that like everybody's approachable They're in some of the Facebook groups, some of the actors and people involved have come on and shared their experiences. And this is like a tight kind of there is a mine hunter community and it has both the true crime people, but also the TV and the professionals who are in this industry and appreciate 
that this show is just that like this is like you're getting eight episodes of a David Fincher film every at least every season and I know it's going to be a, a while since we get till we get season three but this will hold us over doing this rewatch and getting through season two and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it yeah and and I totally forgot that the shirt Holden has on when he's flying from California to uh, the East Coast is is a Bill Tent shirt. It's a light blue one. That's it's fantastic. So Bill's Bill's wardrobe. It got Man. me excited. It's perfect, dude. I'm telling you, Solo. One day they're going to need to cast like Tench's cousin, and they're going to cast you in this show. Man. Oh yeah, baby. I'm going to come in, and I want I want cool ass shirt like Bill Tench, and be like Billy, baby. How you doing? Hey. All right. Well. <laughs> Ooh, don't get me too excited. Like season three, baby. Bill's cousin, Heath Tench. All right, Tencho. Heath Tencho. <laughs> He's like, uh, give me a give me a twenty four pack. I'm gonna yeah. get through this weekend with it. Like Holden, can you find out a way to kill my cousin for me? <laughs> <laughs> let's get it, let's get into the serial killer side. Yeah, hey, wait, make a, let's have him go interviewed uh, Ed Kemper and maybe Ed will. Uh... <laughs> All right. So what I want to do, Axel, this season, and again, if an episode. As we rewatch week to week, if an episode changes and it's like, okay, we got, but the approach I want to have is I don't want to go scene by scene where season one, we did that a lot, but it, it, it was warranted because of the show and getting in deep. But uh, what I, what I decided to do and what you approved being the CEO, um, I wanted to go in like kind of sections and the listeners will figure it out. So we're not going to go every scene, every scene. We're going to go by kind of – I broke it down in some subjects. Uh, so I do want to start out with the whole opening with uh, BTK and then uh, Bench uh, – Bench. Tench. Bench. Bench is his new name. When you want to say Bill Tench, you just say Bench. Uh, when he talks with Todd in the file dump, the BTK file dump. So – Opening scene, Axel, uh, this woman comes into the house. She's got groceries. She's hearing some noises, and it's shot in such a way where she goes down the hall, and the door is, like, opening, and she goes in, and her her hubby is, (laughs) what is he, uh, having some... uh, Erotic asphyxiation or whatever it's called. I don't know. Auto-erotic asphyxiation. Yes, yes. See, autocorrect corrected my pronunciation. Um, And he's basically, uh, uh, you know, having a grand old time (laughs) dressed up and uh, choking himself and doing his thing. So, whoa. Now, question for you, Axel. What did you think about this opening? Is the first question, and then I'll ask you another one. Well, I thought that this was great because we're starting right off with these cold open BTK picking back up. You remember we ended last season with BTK burning all of his kind of drawings and some rope and some stuff that he had in a big uh, like barrel in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Right. Just that was like after Holden had his big breakdown uh, with Kemper. And I like the way we pick right back up with BTK. 
and I'm really intrigued. This episode, call, and this may be your next question, but this episode and this beginning really calls into question and the later scene with Tench and the files mm-hmm. of how are these are kind of like, I guess these were flashbacks in a way, some of them, because the story has intersected one or two other times they've mentioned, you know, that case in Wichita. Right, right. Um, so we know that BTK is kind of active in our Tench Holden timeline, but I believe that some of these cold opens were flashbacks to BTK experimenting, and I feel like this is one of them too. I'm not sure whether if how long he's been killing and even if the flashbacks are in order because some of them were really new like the first one when he's just like you know talking about the the rope and how you Mm -hmm. tie things in the store but then you have that one when he's mailing something and he was only mailing things to people when he had begun killing Yes. Um, So it's this one here is a further examination of his home life, which we had seen before uh, with that with 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 him and his wife. And um, the whole way they shot this thing, man, is just like the long hallway. She's reaching the music's playing as she's reaching for the doorknob, you know, and it's shaking. And it's like, what the hell is in there? And remember when I first watched it, I was like, what the oh is I couldn't tell. Like, had he tied someone up and she's I, I didn't recognize that this was his wife. I didn't either. Right, so I was kind of thrown. You know, I think we've only seen her one or two other times, and um, it was just like when he jumps up and he's like running down the hallway with his pants around his ankle and his <laughs> tied and the thing on his head. A bra. Yeah, it's really, it's it's in a way, it's empathetic. You know what I mean? Like it really kind of paints her more as the one in my mind. Whereas she like runs away from him and you think about the time period and all this show involves about people kind of progressing in their mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of felt actually empathetic to him. Like maybe if his wife had turned around and said like, let's talk about this BTK, you know, like (laughs) what's, what's going on? Maybe I can help you with this. If we do this in the bedroom, maybe you don't need to go in. You know, well, I don't know. She didn't. She she doesn't come off as one of those experimental types. But <laughs> is now is this the first time she's caught him done doing something? She ain't is, Deb. Yeah, she ain't Deb. <laughs> but you listen to her mixtape and you'll understand. But no, yeah. is is this like the first time she's caught him doing something weird? Is mm. this you know the third or fourth time? And she's like, oh my god, you know. And she so yeah. that we don't know. And you make a, a great point. Now that I'm thinking about it. You just assumed the BTK stuff in season one was happening at the same time, but we find out when Todd brings the files to uh, Bill that he hadn't killed anyone in three years. Yeah. 77 was his last kill. And that's, and, when they, he, and that's when Holden started. Yeah, so I, that's where I believe you're right that it's kind of 
it's BTK stuff, but it's not exactly the same day. You're right. Yeah. And then, you know, now that I think about it, they're talking about the cases and the what the the near miss. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's to Anna Williams where she gets a letter in her um, license sent to her, and maybe that's what he was mailing in one of those. Oh, and we and I think we past. also saw him. That was when he got frustrated and left the house. Yes. Remember? Yep. So if you put the pieces together, maybe what we were seeing was a, we were of course seeing stuff a separate from that, but we got a scene or two. You're right. That's a great thinking from her story and kind of linking it into like us knowing something that Tench doesn't know, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it you know, I just I just assumed everything was caught up, and because I was thinking when this was happening, he was doing this uh, erotic whatever. The, I can't even. I, he was doing that thing in the bathroom with the fixation stuff. Was he because he hasn't killed in three years? Is he doing that mm, to get pleasure, or yeah. is this before? Um, you know, is he trying to be a normal person on his own end? Does his wife know? I, I don't know if she does um, what what she knows. I doubt she knows that he kills people. But that that's interesting because when they say, you know, Wichita, Kansas or Park City or whatever, it's they don't give you the time, which is which is good because of this unique case, because it, it, it expands over decades, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so that that's interesting. Um mm-hmm. It really is, man. And it's cool when you think about one of the time things that you get in this episode is that um, we find out or it's, you know, it's like verified. Holden says, you know, I've been here three years. So that is what I guess from the first season, we actually saw three years. Well, was it, did he say three years of being... In the in the science department, or three years with the FBI. I think it was three years with behavioral sciences. Okay, it has to be right yeah. because because it is uh, around 1980, and yeah. I only know that because of the events that'll happen in further episodes. And 77 is when we began this story. So, so yeah, it's so I guess that like BTK went like stopped killing. He stopped. There was a break just when Holden kind of started. It's almost like there was a movement in the force. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no. Like Holden. The last serial killer. <laughs> yeah. You know, BTK kind of, of drifts BTK. out the dark side and like the light side, like Holden comes in. I mean, the song we ended with was in the light, right? They're, they mm-hmm. do play with that idea. Um, in all these cases and in the show overall that there is a – there's kind of like almost a balance to the force that Holden and Tench are doing something that's almost like, you know, that's like anti-evil. They're not just FBI agents, right? They're delving into something that is on an almost spiritual level. And that's kind of what Holden finds with Kemper. And that's why he takes this so seriously is because he does have this like innate connection to these people. 
And what we'll see is that is recognized in this episode very much so. You know, it'll be interesting to see, too, if, depending on how many seasons we get and everything, you know, maybe the BTK stuff's just going to be, we'll see stuff from different times and how the FBI was dealing with it along the way. And then we may never even see him in the, you know, get caught in the future or whatever. We, we don't know. You so know it, what, man? Fincher is so fucking crazy and so talented, and he ha- he has such a mechanical type mind that it wouldn't surprise me that like Mindhunter ends in like season four or something, and then the next year he's working on the BTK movie, right? And or it, or you, you know, all we see uh, Holden, sixty years old, showing up, <laughs> true detective you know, like, style. It's true detective style, and him and Stephen Dorff for. Uh, uh, who knows? All right, so it's a little good BTK stuff. Uh, anything more before we move on to our next? Well, I thought I just I really thought it was interesting the way that they get so quickly into get the Todd bringing those files and kind of meeting back up with him and the way that um, that is introduced to us. It gives you the impression that they're going to really get into this case, you know? And I got kind of excited thinking, oh man, okay. Cause I heard what the, you know, people you hear what this season is about this case or whatever. But then I was like, oh wow. Okay. They're going to get into BTK. But then we see that the focus kind of starts to shift and mm-hmm. it's interesting what, what they are trying to communicate by this episode overall and the way that the unit kind of shifts its focus. Um, are they saying in a way that if they had stayed kind of with the cold cases, they may have caught BTK earlier mm. was, you know what I mean? I was trying to figure out what was the reason for putting this scene there. Well, um, I, I, I think par- partially what I got out of it, Axel, was that because the way Todd is basically he brings the files and he talks about, well, those are the way things were done back then. Now that it really seems like this whole behavioral science thing, the boom is happening. People are accepting it in the bureau and change is happening uh, big time. So it's almost like, wow. They, not that they, because they didn't know what a serial, I mean, he did make the call where he, remember he, uh, they said Wichita called and I said, yeah, this will probably happen yep. again. And, but there wasn't much, it was just, okay, there's my opinion. I'm with the FBI. Good luck. And now it's like, wait a minute. Okay. And they're doing more focusing on that. Yeah. And like so, everybody's coming to them. Yeah. Now it's like, wait a minute. You know, and, and they show, and they did a great job in season one with just showing how you know with the road school people coming up to try to get ideas, even though it, you know I don't want to, but hey, I need help. Um, you know, the different cops and everything, and so it just it, it was a good transition time. Like here are the files that you know you can do something with this, and you know, and I like the t- Todd and Bill going back for Bill's like, oh wow, thanks for all these files. Yeah, asshole. But but in a fun way. Uh, but yeah, no, it just seems like, you know, I don't know. Things weren't handled the right way back then. I mean, you did police work. You did your whatever you could. But it just, 
it was a different way and now they have the resources and the right people involved so yeah you could see the transition and, and the focus uh, yeah yeah because, and the focus yep yeah go baby oh i was just going to say um the, it, it, i mean you could also say that no matter no matter what they do there's always going to be people who get away with this Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like Wendy and the cat and how, um, you know, there could be a serial killer in the building and you don't know, you know, they're kind of trying to say too, like hold in and tension that they're not superheroes. And even in the time that they were out doing this amazing stuff. And as we see in this episode, getting recognized and getting elevated, really changing the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, there was still things that didn't work out, you know, yeah, and that yeah. they're not infallible and Holden is, yes, he is a, in some senses, a, uh, like a trailblazing genius in, in behavioral sciences and creating a whole new methodology. Um, but he too has his limitations as they all do. And, and we see his limitations as well. You're exactly right. Speaking of limitations, uh, in I think Vacaville, California, uh, Holden's in restraints in a hospital. And he's been there for like a week after he had his uh, crazy panic attack after his meeting with Ed Kemper. So, which leads, um, I want to talk about Holden, Axel, and then I really want to hit I, I, I the whole Shepard storyline uh, before we get into the new boss and... Uh, things that happen within our team. I really want to hit uh, Holden's mindset and how it relates to Shepard now retiring and then getting the real answer at the end of the episode. I want to bring that here because I think it's important to tackle uh, right now. So um, Bill is covering for Holden because the new boss, Ted Gunn, wants to meet with him. We'll get to that. But he finally calls Bill, and he had been in a hospital. He had a panic attack. So Bill flies to California to bring him back. Uh, and, of course, he's one of the first patients to uh, Axel to be released in 25 years. <laughs> 25 under the stock years. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> well, that says something, too, about how at that time there were more of these kind of mental health facilities holding people like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I mean, I think a lot of I think a lot of them were maybe it's a little earlier that in America they were shut down in the 60s and 70s. Um, But, you know, nowadays he would probably just be in a hospital, you know, but he was also in that hospital that um, Kemper was in. So it's like not exactly, you know, a, a normal place. They don't keep. They don't keep you and me who had a panic attack at home or something. That's like an emergency room thing. But he was, he was almost lucky in a sense to have it there for them to be able to recognize and know what it was, you know? Yeah. And and it's funny because it, it, around that time, you know, it's still panic attacks weren't, I'm not gonna say they weren't common. They were very common, but they were treated treated differently, and mm-hmm. people were like, "Well, you know, come on, suck it up, get yeah, over they it." Were Bill's, stigmatized by it. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it was just like, suck it up, be a man, you'll be fine, have a drink, you know, have a steak, sleep. Uh, like when Bill's like, <laughs> get yourself together. You got to take the weekend, <laughs> exactly. yep. take the weekend and be ready on Monday. And it's like, okay, like it makes sense. But at the same time, you know, if, if this show was now, it'd be like, oh, hold in or take whatever you need. You want me to get my your prescriptions for you? You want me, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, smoke some weed. And that'll yeah, help it'd be you. like meditate a little bit, relax. Yeah. Let's do some vo- mindfulness techniques. People yeah. are much more open to, I think back then, People would think that, you know, the way they described it is him having a panic disorder and Mm. that this was um, something that like almost as if he had a disease instead of something that many people suffer from and deal with. And that's I mean, nowadays, it's like the most common ailment. You see so many people taking different medications to chill, you know, taking their chill pills uh, is pretty normal. And even in this episode, it's interesting how, um, and it's the same way that we see the way that they kind of deal with Wendy's sexuality, where they are involved in a whole line of work and behavioral sciences where they're investigating and they have to be open to different people and the way people act, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sexually or otherwise. But then when it comes to their own lives, they are in many ways blind to it. Blinded by the light. Yeah. And not willing to accept that the, the peculiar, peculiarities that they find in these serial killers are actually pretty common in just regular people. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really what a person, the, the function of how they act and what they do to express that. And the sometimes, you know, their upbringing or their experiences that kind of make them into that, or they were always that. That's the question we're trying to figure out. But they kind of have to be more open to everything because even the way that Holden deals with this throughout the episode, um, it's almost as if it's kind of like an albatross rather than something that you and I, in a modern sense, totally saw coming the whole last season. You know, like he was under a lot of stress. Yeah. And when the doctor's like, you know, stay away from stressful situation. We don't want this to happen again. And Holden's like, wait, it'll happen again? Yeah. Like he gives that. And it was like he was like, wait a minute. I don't want to go through this again. And that and that, sh- and that was so genuine mm. and like an innocent kid, you know, when you find out something like. So it really... And then you're thinking, okay, is this is this something that's going to follow us all season? Is he going to nip it in the bud? Is this going to be? And I'm kind of like, I understand it, but I just hope it's not a like ten episode arc on him dealing with panic attacks. Hopefully not. Uh, just like you know your classic shows that deal with uh, you know painkiller abusers, and you go, oh, here's that storyline. But they yeah, do it in, sh- in, a, in, a, in a great way. I mean, the first time that I learned about stress, like I didn't know what really stress was. I was a kid. It was like 1983 or something. It was an episode of Different Strokes. And they had this machine to measure stress. And I remember uh, Mr. Drummond like, had it. 
and it, the thing, the the mechanism went off, and he was like, "Wait a minute, I'm not stressed." They went to commercial. It was this serious, different strokes. Like, oh my god, Mister Drummond's stressed. Like, and I was like, "What the hell is stress?" You know. And that's uh, interesting, man. That see, we all and that goes into. Um, you know the main point of season one, where with with all the dealings with the lawyer and how we had you know Wendy going to try to convince them not to seek the death penalty because mm. of their study, um, all this way that the public has to understand serial killers and how their minds work in order to be able to be on a jury or protect themselves or even understand what their work is. Um, in the same way, they kind of have to understand – Holden has to like understand this panic, right? Uh, because in a sense, I, I do kind of relate it to the Wendy and the cat thing, which now I'm starting to kind of think was kind of cool, um, where <laughs> it's like this – these panic attacks, this idea we see it formulating in the first episode is that like – silent killer right that unknown that mm-hmm. ser- that thing that's stalking you right like just like when he discusses it with wendy and she right. says you're the only one who can tell when this is going to happen mm. right you have to be in tune with yourself and then the look in holden's eyes is like shit my whole personality is ignoring myself now I have to confront myself and it's like confronting that unknown and that's what their job is too. So it makes sense that after this season one that he went through that he would kind of be in this situation and have to come to terms with the fact that there is no unknown, right? Like it's him. The fear is him. Mm-hmm. And he has to understand that and be in control of himself and understand himself and get more in tune with what's inside Holden, which is something that he was completely ignoring the whole first season. And you see like what happened with his relationship with poor Debbie, where he just basically, it wasn't really even about her at all. It just became like, he, you know, him whole, yeah. All about Holden. Uh, and what, He's and what's all interesting, about the work. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he, you know, he confides in Wendy. You know, Wendy is fr- has been frustrated with him. <laughs> it's really, and I thought it was a good move on Holden's part. You know, he, to take her out for a beer and basically tell her the truth. And it it mm-hmm. kind of looks like that could help their relationship in some ways. Uh, by he's like opening with her but then you realize and he's like i really need someone to talk to and it's like you don't have deb anymore are you just looking for you know yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like he needs that he does, yeah. he, he's alone he doesn't have many friends as greg says and he exactly he just, you know so point. so he goes to wendy and and i thought that was uh a, a good move and because you know like shepherd was like We'll talk about Ted, but like Wendy is, it's it's being honest and, and breaking and, and discussing, communicating and discussing things. You get into trouble when your partner or so, your colleague doesn't know something's coming. And be like, listen, this is the deal. So I thought that was a good move. Uh, we'll see how it works out. Take a little break to remind you of our presenting sponsor. 
cufflinks.com. You know, sometimes I just go over to cufflinks.com, I look at their awesome products, and I say to myself, how lucky I am to have this amazing sponsor. They've got the coolest stuff over there. Man, I just, you know what they sent me, and I'm going to be giving these away, some popcorn cufflinks. Listen to all our podcasts at dvrpodcast.com to find out how, but they've got awesome stuff over there. So go to cufflinks.com slash DVR and use code DVR20. They've got socks, ties, cufflinks, money clips, tie clips, so much cool stuff, uh, even like pocket squares, just any way to kind of make you look good. Those little touches always help. Don't forget the little details, baby, because cufflinks.com's got them for you. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. But I really want to hit on uh, Shepard's arc in this episode. So Shepard is retiring. Uh, he lets Bill know and introduce him to Ted Gunn, who's taken over. But, uh, you know, Shepard, when he's talking to Bill, he's very much, yeah, you know, 27 years. I think it's time, you know. And then when they give him the plaque, he's there with his wife and all his colleagues. But then Holden is kind of like, he doesn't look happy. He doesn't look, <laughs> you know, he's doing, is he really? I mean, they're having this side dialogue uh, together, uh, Bill and Holden, and he just figures that out. They have this the retirement party that night, and you could just tell something's in the air. Uh, you know, Bill and Wendy have their you know discussions, which we'll talk about. But the the focus, Axel, I want to go on is you know Bill gets up, gives a speech, you know, talking about trout and you know fishing and all that. Shepard comes up, says a quick little thing, and is like, okay, let it be it. But our good friend Holden has to open his mouth. And he's, though genuine, he's also naive. And as he's, you know, giving his little speech to Shepard, Shepard just storms out. You know, just walk, and I even storm out. He just is like, ugh, and walks away. And then we get the big scene at the end of this episode where we come to realize that Shepard is being forced out for the new wave. He has to take the fall of all the crap. Holden's done. He hates him, and he just wants nothing to do with him anymore. And, of course, our good friend Holden has another panic attack. Wow. It's a lot to digest, uh, especially in pill form. But, Axel, Mm. give it to me, baby. Um, I I thought that this was really brilliant because of exactly the way you described it, how when we see Shepard... For the first time this season, he's already been replaced, you know, and he starts the conversation with Bill and he's like, yeah, well, you'll meet the new guy gun. And he's like, oh, okay, well, just tell me when. Oh, yeah, he's in the conference room. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is done. And then that's it. Right. Like we see Shepard again at the end. Yeah, at that little plaque, getting his plaque and then the party. That's it. That's we see. We he he doesn't see Holden. He doesn't say goodbye to. We don't see him saying goodbye to Wendy. Cleaning out his debt. This new guy. That's then we go on our adventures and we meet Gun. And when we get back to Shepard and we're we see this and it's like in this little kind of you know it looks like a a local hangout right or, or something like that like um, a lodge yeah like a, exactly lodge. like a lodge and. You see him with his wife and everything. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I was like, 
their relationship last season really intrigued me because I think that in the beginning, Shepard did feel that he could first, he was really genuinely interested in Holden and thought Mm -hmm. that the kid had something to give because Shepard, obviously when they talk about this speech, he started the use of computers. He, he actually did have a very distinguished career of kind of trying to be more progressive, right? Like Tench Mm -hmm. liked him, but he was like Tench. He knew that he had to play by the rules and Holden keep on breaking his trust. What we saw was every time Shepard just step in, whether it was the tapes, right? Lying about Mm -hmm. that. Then with Smith, of course, Every little thing, the, even the stuff in the beginning where they weren't supposed to be out consulting on a case and they were. Remember that, right? Mm-hmm. So of course I do. Yeah. When we were kind of going through that, I was feeling like I wasn't sure whether or not Shepard was still kind of appreciative of Holden. It didn't really hit me until this scene how much Holden had fucked up his life. Oh, so, I didn't. I didn't know it either. Yeah, until- <laughs> it's just like I. I felt I knew that he didn't like him by this point, and that he felt that he had become a liability. But I didn't realize how the tables had turned because I also, and maybe you can explain to me. I found it hard to understand, and maybe I don't know. I've never been involved in law enforcement or anything. I know it from watching TV, um, but. They reward Holden so greatly and Gunn is so focused on him, yet they still have to punish kind of Shepard where he says, I took the fall for your actions. I'm not quite sure that that's true. Yeah. You know what? It's great that you pointed out. Uh, Before we get to that really quick, what about the shot when Holden's trying to give a speech? There's a shot of Shepard's wife. Going like rolling her eyes. Yeah. So like you she know knew too. she knew too at home. He's like, that's that freaking <laughs> holding is fucking up my life. Jesus it's Christ. really, man, it's like these interior lives. It's like they make us, they turn us, the viewers, into Holden and um, Tench. Uh, when we're looking at characters like Wendy, Shepard, even Smith, they don't tell us everything. And we have to kind of fill in the gaps with the clues. Um, But explain to me, like, do you think that uh, I'm right? Like, I don't think that they were really punishing Shepard. I just think it was the natural order of things. I think Shepard basically got the ultimatum was you embrace this new area we're going into. You, you know, in the whole Holden thing, as we get with Ted, where, where it's like, we need to coddle him and harness yeah. his, but at the same time keep an eye on him. But let him do his thing. I I think Shepard, they gave him the opportunity to be like, listen, you can. I need you need a new approach with him. If you don't do it, we're going in a different direction, and you're going to have to step down. And I think in Shepard's eyes, in his mind, was like, oh, Holden's the reason why I have to retire. He fucked up my yeah, life. Yep, I yeah. think it's I, – I, I don't think it was because Ted gets the OPR investigation tossed out like yeah, that. Yeah, with nothing. So, 
Yeah. Which you like, could sense it, it was already done, right? Like, yeah. It wasn't like he he walked – that's the FBI. Like he walked in there and that had already been decided. The 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 go Like you're saying, the go-ahead to focus entirely on what Holden was doing but take it out of what we're doing and go on to the streets had been decided. And I think you're right. Either Shepard was told – you either do it or you're out, or he was told it's obvious you can't handle him. Right. You don't know how to do this. You're too old school, so you need to go. So he kind of blames him, but I don't agree with the the turn of phrase he used where he said, like, you know, I took the fall for you. I don't think that that's true at all. I think he sees it that way in his old school way. Yes. That, like, the law, you know, rules were broken. And, but really, the truth is, he can't accept that the FBI was willing to break its own law in order to get, in order to like latch on to what Holden was doing, which in the end is kind of what we would want as a society, right? Like, you want your law enforcement to be progressive, to go, to learn while still holding on to what, you know, the basic tenets sure. of the constitution or whatever. So in a way at the end of the episode, when Holden's on the ground and he's having his panic attack and Shepard walks away, my final judgment is Shepard is the dick. That's kind of how I saw it in the end. Yeah. I, I I agree with certain things. Yeah, <laughs> to oh yeah. Complain about to be tense yeah. like about it. To be tense like yeah, sure. <laughs> he's the I dick. Mean, like he's he, the dick. Yeah. He should have picked up on this well, earlier. He, you know, unfo- it, it's as simple as he's stuck in his ways and he doesn't want to change enough for what yeah. enough at all. He's still saying, "We're the FBI. We don't do you know." But he and- wasn't that bad, right? Like that's the, what I find interesting about this show is they didn't paint him as a total stick in the mud. He still no. was the one who gave Holden the opportunity. He and then he gave and him he the covered team. up the tape. Yeah, the tape he thing covered too. up exactly. So it's like he was willing yeah. to go far. It's just that Holden. I think it's a way of also instructing us as the audience that like Holden is so radical. It's way past. It's like even the part that they're accepting of him now, they still are trying to rein it in. They don't get that he's going to Holden's going to Holden. Yeah. And I I think it it wasn't so much that Shepard couldn't handle the situations it was just you wonder if he even wanted to yeah that's anymore. another truth yep you know it's like do i need to go through this crap with him and that's the wi-fi role that you mentioned yeah so i think it's a mixture but I, yeah i don't think he took the fault like maybe he's like he's my responsibility and they said hey listen you got to rein him in maybe yeah. so like maybe he thought maybe he felt defeated and was like at my age i can't rein him in the way yep. this guy is just a different so uh, but you're, but it's amazing how, a, a you know, a line of dialogue that Shepard gives, and we're just like, wait a minute, you know, the fall, what fall? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's it's all it's like, it's confusing, man. In the same way that 
our serial killers have their little weird behaviors that they do or, or, you know, their little proclivities, the FBI does too. And it's kind of hard. It's like a whole nother different weird world that they have. They use different language and that like we learned about last season. So it's kind of like it's just all human games. And in the end, I'm sad to see Shepard go. He was a very interesting character, mm-hmm. and he gave Holden this opportunity, um, but he just couldn't hang with this insanity that kind of Holden brings along with him. Um, and uh, that was just a really interesting last scene, especially when Tench gets up and gives him like you know, you're not going to be catching killers. You're going to be catching names of things like trout. And, yeah. <laughs> and he gives him a fishing. It was like the cheesiest fucking thing ever. You I, know, know. I, know, I know. Oh, man, it was very funny. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to clearing the air, Axel. So when we left our heroes, <laughs> Bill, Wendy, Tench, oh, Bill is Tench, Holden, and our good friend, Agent Smith. So the uh, the big thing was holding over their heads was the um, OPR investigation, which our new boss, Ted, was able to squash. But who sent the tape? Um, they hadn't been together since Holden. Holden got back. He, he got in early. He was, boom, went up to see... Uh, Ted. He left and, a nice check for Bill to show, yeah, like, and the shirt was nice and clean, yeah. three hundred fifty bucks, and the yeah. and the shirt was nice and clean. I hope uh, Bill is sending that to me. Uh, it's those little second. details, man. That really, this show, I love that because that says a lot about like Holden was like, I'm back, I'm straight and narrow now, Bill, just like yes. you asked me to be. Yep, and, and it just like, it, and that was his like big thank you, like. You know, in, in the Holden way, here's a check for your expenses. Your shirt's cleaned. I appreciate what you did for me. Yeah, um, love you. So, Bill. love you, Bill. So, <laughs> Bill and Wendy, Bill and Wendy kind of have a little. Bill essentially apologizes in Wendy because she because Bill accused Wendy of sending the tape. So that was disrupting their relationship a bit, and they kind of. So much hashed it out in a way where it was like, hey, you're in early, you know, and they t- they kind of talk about it. We mentioned uh, Holden and Wendy going out for a drink and them kind of, okay, they've, they've had their differences and they probably will still have differences, but at least they cleared the air a bit. But I like the scene where uh, Wendy's going over uh, some new people to talk to. Uh, and it's uh, what they think is... You know, one of the uh, um, Hants, the first black serial killer, and then uh, Pierce Jr. is going to be at the, is at the same jail. So they're talking about possibly future uh, interviewing them. But then when Holden comes in, they kind of talk, and they Holden does a, uh, how do you say, um, uh, process of elimination, who sent mm-hmm. the tape. A little bit of a sneak attack, too, yeah. where he really changes the vibe of what's going on in the room. And he's kind of a bit emboldened at this point because this is after the conversation with Gunn. And um, it was, this was pretty like, (laughs) you could see as it's happening, 
Smith is sitting down and he's kind of like just waiting for it to come to him. He knows what's coming. He knows what he did. And, uh, Holden just, yeah, he, he lays it out. You, it couldn't have been Bill. It couldn't have been Wendy. I know it wasn't me. Yeah. It was you, Greg. Yep. And Bill is shocked. Yeah. She's she's like, what the? (laughs) Which I was, that kind of surprised me too. Cause we talked about this last season. Like he already did this, right? Like he was, he was hanging out with them for like a day. He went and told on Holden. So they, he, they knew, I mean, Holden, I knew from the get, I mean, I think from the jump, he said it last season, he thought it was him. So I think that this scene though was kind of cool. I like the way you say it, like laying it out. Um, he, he just kind of, you know, outs him and yeah, it shows Bill has a, a bit of, uh, he still kind of he has a little bit of that shepherd esque, like you were saying, naivete, where he just assumes people are going to kind of follow the rules, mm. you know. And he's like, I was surprised that he was surprised. Wendy didn't seem surprised. Yeah, and and Wendy tries to uh, downplay a little. Yes, okay, we we, we figured that out. It's okay. Yeah. Where they're kind of nudging at Greg a little bit, and she's like, No, no, no. Um, you know, maybe she's, sp- maybe he's spying a little bit for her as well in certain situations, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, you know, Holden, I like how he just stopped everything and had to clear the air. He's like, if we're going to move on, let's just get this over with. And so that was good, but really Axel, the really big focus, um, even though, he, uh, I'm not gonna say he's a secondary character, he's a supporting character. But the hiring of Ted Gunn and and how we he's introduced our former observer from Fringe, so he's, yeah. he's observing now. It's a Fringe team up, man. Yeah, I know. Jesus, it's incredible. But you know, he interviews everyone um, individually. Uh, so he first, of course, when Bill is with Shepard, he meets Ted, and pretty much. They go over, and his real big thing is Holden. Like, what do you think of Holden? He's already made up his mind, but he's asking to see who. And pretty much with Wendy and Bill, they basically say, you know, he's kind of not a loose cannon, but he's out there, but he gets results, but he can hinder things. But And it comes down to Ted is like, okay, we need to rein him in, but also let him be a bird and fly and spread his wings but just watch him for me. Make sure he's, you know, falls within the lines the best you can. But we need him moving forward. What did you get out of uh, the Ted Gunn interviews with the, with uh, Wendy and William? I loved it, and I think Te- I'm so glad to see this actor who you're right played the Observer on Fringe. Um, he, he was great in Fringe. I've seen him in a couple other things. And another testament to this show that you're coming into the second season. You're the big Netflix show, David Fincher. Who are you going to cast? Shepard's out. Um, One thing I wanted to go back and mention is how that throws Mm -hmm. into question Smith in general. Because remember, Smith was put there. He's like his nephew or something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's... 
Smith doesn't have that advantage anymore now that Shepard is gone. And, and when Ted comes into the room before they show him the, like the new facilities, the, 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 the extra wing in the basement or whatever, um, you know, when a- he goes, you must be Agent Smith or whatever, and he's about to get up and he like kind of dis- Ted dismisses him like, yeah, yeah, you're not that important because <laughs> he knows, right? Your yeah. legacy, man. Nope. That's exactly um, what you hit on. And then that brought I'm like, oh, yeah, that that part where it, I mean, he just basically it's subtle, but boom, he's right there. So sorry. that's why that scene was really important, because that scene kind of dismisses that whole part of the show of him being a spy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we mm-hmm. kind of can move on from that. But to get to gun, um, the way he formats these interviews where he kind of leads both Wendy more so Bill. He's kind of like, what do you think about Holden? You mm-hmm. know, like, is it worth it? And he really, the last one, I can't remember the exact way he phrases it, but the last thing he says before he is truthful with Bill, he kind of is like, yeah, is Holden, I don't know, is Holden really, should we keep him on? And then he's like, yes, Holden is essential. He did this. And then he's like, I totally agree with you. And that was the right (laughs) question. And now you're not going to get fired. You know, like we're going to keep you unlike Smith. And we want uh, – he uses that whole analogy of with a racehorse. He's yes. you're good at you're good at horse. Well, I'm not too good at uh, the track, but you know, so yeah. you can either gild the horse, which means like cut off his balls, you know, so it's not it doesn't have that. Like he's kind of alluding to Holden's obsession with his work and the serial killers in a psychosexual way, just like the serial killers by using this metaphor of like gilding the lily or whatever, you know, like so the horse. It keeps on track, mm-hmm. but instead he asks him to be the blinders that kind of focus his gaze, right? Yes. And um, I, I guess my thinking is I was happy when I was watching it because as a viewer, I want – I think Holden is on the right track. I mean we know he is because this is how we understand serial killers because of this, right? Like this is why we're watching the show. Yeah. But – um. I also felt like it was, in a way, not so different from what Shepard was saying. Mm. You know? It was like he had more belief and he was like, look, we have to let him. He was saying, well, you got to let him ask those crazy questions. And he said it to Wendy, too. He's not going to follow your freaking sheet. You know? Um, that's, that's sheet. <laughs> yeah. You know, your sheet of questions he's going to, and uh, he's going to say nasty shit and he's going to empathize with them in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, and he'll be profane and use words you don't want to use. Um, but it's getting us our results. But the thing that I gathered the most out of this is the focus of when it, this all started really as an, as a academic, in a sense, endeavor. Bill was a traveling teacher. Wendy was a professor, right? Mm -hmm. And Holden was a very intellectual person. And this was not, it almost accidentally turned into them getting cases, 
Initially, they weren't allowed to get those cases, and that's when Shepard kind of let him do it. Then they, like we've talked about, they get brought in more and more. He wants that to be the focus. And the interviews and that kind of stuff um, is really kind of secondary towards them getting results. And that's how he even ends when he shows them this big new office space that they're going to fill. Um, he's like, you know, and he says also to Holden, you got to get results. But with Wendy, he's a little more tactful about it. He has to be, but he's still a little bit, you know, you the results have to be there, which I think Bill is more happy about it because he likes to do that work. Whereas it's still that struggle with Wendy between the academic part and the research they're doing and the solving of real life cases that have really enabled them to get to this point. If, if Holden hadn't have solved those cases, they gun wouldn't be there. Right. And it's, it's interesting because uh, when finally on Monday Holden goes to see Ted, he takes him to the executive cafeteria. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice omelets. And, great omelets. <laughs> yeah, where, where you know they're. Uh, it's a big <laughs> shot. You know, do you think Ted knew he was in California? Probably not, right? Or uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> he might have. He might have. And you know what? That's a great question because. I wouldn't be surprised that he did and he wanted to see how Wendy and Tench would take care of it. Right. And basically he let them take care of it. He let them take care of it because he just seemed like he knew the answers to everything. Yeah. He well, that's his thing. Trust, it. right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's trusting Holden. He's trusting them. That's not what Shepard did. Shepard. It's like, it's not, it's not really. It's not so much the methodology. The methodology is similar. It's the delivery and mm -hmm. the way he is smoothing them over. You know, mm -hmm. like the conversation with Wendy, I thought was pretty masterful because, you know, Wendy will get right up in your face. Sure. And even at the end, she was kind of like, whereas Tench ended it by saying, um, um, of course I'll do that, sir. No question. Yeah. Wendy was like, yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> well, well, even shot. Well, even Bill, like at first he's, you know, a little uneasy. And then when he figures out where the questioning's going, yeah. he kind of moves in his chair and goes, ah, I see where you're going. Yep. And, you know, these little moments in Mindhunter, man, especially that's why rewatching is so important because you pick up so more. And I picked up. So many what I not throwaway lines, lines I maybe not wasn't concentrating on. That's gonna set up things in the future. So I just love it. But um, it's amazing, Ted. Uh, you know, Holden's been wanting to interview Charlie Manson for a long time, and he goes, "I'll get you, Manson. Yep. I'll get you, Manson." And then when he brings that up to to the crew, you know, Wendy, like you said, is still like about interviewing kills. Well, he technically Manson didn't kill anyone. Physically, you know, it'd be a waste. Why are we interviewing him? And it, it, and Holden's like, "What? What are you talking about? It's Charlie Manson." Yeah, you know, and so, it's cool that Gunn is down for it because he understands that he it's a part of. He just wants to basically benefit Holden's process. 
Mm-hmm. Right? So the Manson thing is not really getting them that great research stuff, but they can bill it to the research, you know? Uh, and it's not solving a case, but what it is doing is helping Holden understand himself better and these serial killers better. Um, and the fact that he is open to that and understands that is a thing that Shepard did not understand. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, even if you look at Holden's reactions during his uh, breakfast with Ted, um, when Ted's like, yeah, uh, you know, opposite Shepard, yeah, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you, and he's just like, oh my God. I thought I was going to get like fired or reprimanded, <laughs> yeah. but you're giving me what I want. Yeah. Which is the proper way to handle Holden. He's mm-hmm. just like, listen, I don't want to be blindsided. When stuff comes out, you got to let me know what the hell's going on and you'll get your things. And I'll, you know, and then even when, you know, you know, it even, uh, when he's talking with Bill and, you know, he's, and he's calling him Ted. Like it's just like oh Ted my buddy Ted yeah it's just it's just just really Holden's like in and and Ted has really I mean he knows what he's doing and it's amazing he gave up a big job to be down in the basement with these guys but I mean he's ready and he's going to give them more research because the two year timeline of what Wendy brings up he's like no nah, I don't like that he goes we got to speed that up I'll get your researches anybody you need and so. It seems like a lot happened, Axel. I don't know if it was just been the week or maybe off screen in season one that with Shepard. Yeah. Yep, that's a lot what of it things is, were yeah. happening because this thing happens and he's basically able to get anything he wants. So this had to have been happening. And maybe that's what was giving Shepard the frustration with Holden in season one when he was just on and on. He knew it was ending for him. And he's just like, here's another example of why I can't do this crap. So it, I, I thought that the way that they handled this introduction of Gunn was fantastic. And when he says to Holden at the end of their conversation, you know, Holden, Wendy, Bill, this is quite a team you've assembled. <laughs> right. And Holden yep. says, oh, Yes, thank you. He's like, I have. <laughs> it is me. Because that's what he needs, that confidence. And especially we're thinking about, or we had just seen him recovering from this panic attack where he felt that all of his work was going to be for naught. I mean, he walked out of an in- of the interview with OPR like that's, you're fired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's no going back from that. You that's like an internal FBI investigation and you just you told them off on tape and then walked out of the room and then went to visit Kemper. I mean it was <laughs> insanity. But look, it benefited him. So you have to also think like is this really the proper you know as Wendy when Wendy speaks to Holden going back to their kind of airing it out conversation. She emphasizes to him when he does try to get her to be like the shoulder he can cry on. She turns it back on him. And like I said, emphasizes, no, you have to be the one 
that understands yourself, you're the only one that's going to feel the panic coming. You're the only one that's going to be able to deal with this, man. You have to do it yourself. That was an important part because so much of this episode was was a, almost like manic depression type thing where he's so far down and then he goes from nothing all the way to it's his team. You have all the resources you want. You have a new office. You have a boss that's you can call by his first name, you know, <laughs> like you're in and now the dynamics of his job have changed because really it was that shepherd tench. Every time it was tench walking into the room saying shepherd wants to see you, Yeah, you know, and now the direct line is open to him. He's the golden boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the way that Wendy puts it on him, that he's going to be able to feel it. So then what happens like 10 minutes later in our time He's having a panic attack and he's faced directly with what Wendy was talking about. Now he pops the pill, but he still has to kind of, he's the only, he's there by himself, right? Just kind of, just like she said, uh, to face his demons. And it's interesting to me, I found it almost cyclical where we begin the episode, the end of that first scene is BTK running down the hallway, like, you know, totally uh, like um, open to his wife and, and exposed, right? Vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end it with Holden behind a car, panicking, vulnerable. You know, there's like, no matter who you are, BTK or Holden, the good guy or the bad guy in the end. The, per, the real battle is within yourself. Correct. I battle myself every day, Axel. Yeah, we all do, man. That's why this yeah. show, dude, is fucking deep, man. Deep like a Navy SEAL. Yeah, like a frogman, baby. Oh, I love it. So, yeah. And, and this, of course, episode was, dir- I forgot to say at the top, was directed by David Fincher. Yep. A little direction there from dude, our man. The direction this season... Um, the directors are fantastic and we're going to see some great stuff. And as we are talking, I always have it on, on the computer on Netflix and I'm watching and I was like, just rewatching the scene when they, when, uh, when Holden takes out Smith and, Mm -hmm. and exposes him and the way it's shot, man, like there's this one little thing Fincher loves doing this where, a person will just take a step across the screen as we just slightly dolly over and it's just a little maneuver and they move across from each other. So the camera dollies to the right as Wendy walks over to the left to mm. talk to Holden while Smith is over on the right and just a tight little shot. But everything in this episode, just as I know we're kind of we're kind of ending things up here, but I just wanted to call out, you know, all the scenes with the little interviews, everything is, man, Fincher is a master. And this episode, the lighting, the lighting in the conversation between Holden uh, and Wendy at the little bar and then at the um, event for Shepard, the little conversation that uh, Bill and Wendy have. I think we mm. wanted to talk about that a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bill has that great line, man. 
where he says, welcome to your first formal bureau ass lick. (laughs) 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 And then they just, he's like, he wanted you to protect him. He wanted me to protect him, you know? Yeah. And they both realize, uh, okay. Um, We know where this is going. There's another shot, which is interesting. When Bill first uh, sees um, Wendy in the hallway, we, we, there's a shot of from her from behind, and it almost felt like he was going to be like Wendy, and it was going to be someone different. Yeah, like it, was a, it was weird. That and that's the first time you see her. Yeah, in the whole was, show is her back, and she doesn't even turn around and look at him. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Oh no! At the end, she does. Okay, at the very yeah, they end, talk. they yeah. talk, they do talk. But I was what like, why? Why did they do it that way? Uh, I mean, it's because that, I mean, that's brilliant. How you think, how am I going to make my entrance for the season? I'm just going to walk past the camera. He's going to talk and I'm just going to keep on walking. And then they rack focus to her. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and that hallway, I mean, you know, Fincher likes to play with um, shots of uh, repetitive shots to, to kind of contrast the emotion. That hallway looks like the hallway in the hospital, which looks like the hallway in in uh, BTK's house, which looks like when they're on the plane, you get a straight kind of hallway shot. You know, mm-hmm. everything is kind. It's like kind of showing you a path. Like we're moving forward, we're walking down this hallway, but which direction are we going? Are things going away from us or coming towards us? Um, I mean, it's just this show. We could do a whole, like, just one episode where we only talk about the shots, but that'd be kind of boring because I'd just be like, remember that shot? Um, <laughs> but it, it's really... For a video pod, it would work great. Yeah, for a video pod. But we ain't going on YouTube, homie. No. Nah. We're podcasters. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just I'm the lighting, everything. And one thing that we didn't discuss just really quickly at the end here, um, unless, unless uh, there was something else, which is a little bit of the bill and the family stuff that we get, which is going to factor into definitely this season. Um, yeah. But was a nice little reminder. You know, it's just in the beginning. We start out with the priest and everything, and then a little scene with Bill talking about serial killers while he barbecues. But, you know, just kind of like it was almost like while Holden was in the hospital, Bill's life continued. Yeah, and, and and you know Brian's in the at the service, and they're kind of focusing on him, and he's intrigued yeah. with what's going on. They let him go play for it was very fast, but like three minutes to go play football with the the older kids, and you know Bill's calling him a winner, and he's like, "Hey, you know, right?" Yeah, a lot and of macho stuff. And Bill, you actually yeah. there's a kind of derogatory, well, it is derogatory thing bill says like what are they playing they're playing smear the queer or something yeah yeah. and it just goes to show you how again after all the stuff they've been through and how they're supposed to be so open he's looking at his son like you know what i mean he's like you're a tough guy and it's obvious though that that's not the kind of kid brian is yeah yeah but bill wants him to be that way you know and and his wife wants um Wants Bill to mingle and to do all that, but all they want to hear is about serial killers. Yeah, and, stuff. <laughs> and it's and he's getting she's giving him that look, and you know, like what the hell? It's like what, what am I doing? These guys, you know. So it's uh, interesting, man, because it's like those typical. 
Here, Bill is involved in this progressive, mind-blowing, crazy, sexual, psychological stuff. But his home life is like white picket fence, Americana, Mm -hmm. standard gender roles. Wife wants him to talk to everybody. But then when he talks to everybody... She's upset about what he's talking about. Like, he can't win. You know what I mean? Like, what's he supposed I mean, to do? It just shows that the the work he's doing and, and the effect on the mind, yeah. having the home life, having that really helps. And, and if you notice in a lot of shows, I'm sure in real life, when a, a cop like him or your FBI agent that's seen so much gets divorced or loses his family, then they drink and they just go down this rabbit hole. So the family is important to him to keep him yes. uh, elevated away from uh, the crap. So And we um, saw that last season with his breakdown where he's trying to separate yeah. it, you know? Yep. And, yep. and here he is. It's kind of funny because we come back around. And I think a lesson of this show, too, is that, you know, it's, you can do a lot of talking, but you have to follow through with the action. And here last season, she was all, Barb was all opening up, you know, tell me about it, your case, you don't want to know. And then he starts talking about it and she gets upset. Yeah. Well. That could have been a, a, a situation in which she was like, well, they, yeah, that when the lady's like, I don't like to hear about that. Barb could have been like, well, you know what? This is what my husband does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shit this with sh- getting shoes does. for serial killers. He wants so to kiss can... me all over, all over <laughs> he, again. He watches serial killers jerk off into high-heeled shoes, okay? That's our life. Um, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Accept it. Speaking of speaking of high-heeled shoes, uh, when <clears throat> Wendy and Holden are in the bar, we've got a little Doobie Brothers, What a yeah. Fool Believes in the background. I um, love that song, man. What a fool believe. And then the another Talking Heads song ends. It's called The Overload by the Talking Heads. And it kind of goes into, you know, Holden just being overloaded with anxiety and panic and all this stuff. So uh, pretty well placed. I didn't get the song at the beginning with the BTK. It was a... Uh, um, not sure what that one was, but it was I can tell you what darker. that song is in about Whoa. two seconds because I'll put this. Actually, I did this last season. I think um, Refinery Twenty Nine had a great article where they have every song in Mindhunter season two in order. Um, so it's just kind of like a slideshow type thing, mm-hmm. but they go through all of them, and it, as soon as this dumb thing loads, it's Roxy Music. Oh, Roxy Music. In every dream home, so I can't read the rest of it. In every dream home, a heartache. Well, there you go. Yeah. BTK, baby. That's, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, oh, man, when you can find that song that fits the music-wise, but also like the title and the lyrics, which they are experts at doing in oh, this show. and. Also to mention uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, the the uh, soundtrack against that little. I was waiting to hear the Holden theme, and it, it's not until he gets home that the you like the little yeah, like, yeah. mellowy stuff comes in, and their little touches. I mean, again, the um, all the music in this is amazing, and yeah. So we start out with Roxy music, and we end with Talking Heads, and in between a little doobie.
Yeah, baby. What a fool believes. I love Michael. What a fool believes. You know, I love what Steely Dan, man. The power. Oh. When Michael McDonald comes up in the Steely Dan song, pick, it will come back to you. Oh, I love it, man. I love Michael <laughs> McDonald. Love that music. All right. Yacht Rock. So season one was in the books. Now we're on season two, episode one. And remember... You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com. You can also go to Patreon and become a patron. Patreon.com slash DVR. If you want to join our community, the great exclusive podcasts we do uh, every day. And also leave us an iTunes review. It would be great. It's just so people can see that I think we're the only Mindhunter podcast out there. So we want people to know they can you know, watch it on Netflix at any time. And it's a perfect companion to watch and listen. Uh, so, Axel, let's uh, let you uh, end us for the day. Take us out, baby. Well, Solo, this has been an amazing time. And I just want to say thank you for having me at my first formal bureau ass lick. <laughs> yeah, baby. This is perfect, Ted.